Welcome to The Kingless Generation, a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudlock. It's a wonderful spring day here in Tokyo, and I come to you to bring you up to speed on the recent uh, happenings here in Japan, uh, the land of the rising uh, international tensions, we'll say. The last episode that I did on this sort of subject was dealing with the assassination of former President Abe Shinzo. I speculated at that time that it had something to do with America's attempt to get a proxy war going over here in the Pacific as well, just like they've been having over in Ukraine for a year and some change now. And... uh you know, everything, all signs are pointing to them really trying to get it going over here. Uh, I have some good news, though. It looks like they're not, it looks like, for the moment, like it's not going as well as Washington is hoping, right? I, I think the firing of Susan Rice by Biden is a big sign. I'm not quite sure what it means, but I think it must mean that they feel like it's not going well. Uh, recent opinion poll out of Taiwan that I saw said that more than it was 50 some percent say that having good relationships with America is not necessarily the greatest priority. The visit by, uh, you know, Guomindang, but China very much, you know, one China policy believer, uh, not this new independence uh, stuff, but like the old, like we're the real government of all of China, uh, kind of Kuomintang, uh, politician Ma Yingzhou, right? Ma Yingzhou visited mainland China and, as he's always done, was contributing to detente and winding down of cross-strait tensions between uh, the Chinese government in Taiwan and the Chinese government in Beijing. And that w- the approval of that, approval rate of that in this poll was 80% or something. And similarly, the visit of Tsai Ing-wen. Tsai Ing-wen is, is the kind of, you know, American-backed, uh, I forget if it's fucking blue or green or whatever, the color, uh, but they are coming up with this very new kind of doctrine of Taiwan independence rather than Taiwan being a rival Chinese government that, uh, you know, like unleash Chang, you know, the, the, the John Birch Society, all that, you know, I mean, listen to the Wackle series on the farm uh, for the best, uh, some of the best stuff that's out there on that, the China lobby, right? You know, like China, Taiwan is the real China, all of that, right? Um, that's what it used to be, but now it's China is a, an independent country that we must save, similar to Ukraine, but that's not working. That's not, the Taiwanese, I mean, first of all, they've seen what happened in Ukraine, and second of all, they just weren't that inclined toward that independence narrative in the first place, in all my experience, right, and, and I have some experience with talking to Taiwanese people, uh, yeah, that's not, they're not on board for that. And so then the question is, who is dumb enough to really go and punch China in the face? And Japan is a good fucking candidate for that. 
Uh, so I was and, and still am worried about that. I've actually heard a uh, little bird told me that uh, late April or maybe early May after the Golden Week holiday, that will be next week as of this recording. So, uh, you know, might be a time for some kind of event to be staged, right? But so far, you know, there have been various things and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, but there has been no big uh, event yet. And if anything, there's been signs that uh, Washington's plans are stalling yet again. Uh, but first of all, an update on the Abe situation. I don't know that I ever really said on mic that the police, so they came out with their report of the results of the official uh, autopsy. Yeah, autopsy of the body, which was carried out the night of the assassination. And what they say contradicts in, in interesting ways the press conference given by the doctor in charge of trying to save him, uh, which I still think is the best primary evidence. This is the closest thing to primary source that you have on the Abe assassination because, you know, the police will say whatever they want. Uh, you know, they say that Yamagami, the, the suspect, said this and that, and... You know, you don't know that. It isn't him on a camera saying it, right? It's not a document bearing his seal or something. So, uh, th but they, so just to review real quick, um, the doctor in the press conference was asked again and again and again, and he confirmed there were no wounds whatsoever on Abe's back. There was, there were two bullet holes uh, just slightly to the right on the, on his neck in the front that went down, downward, uh, as if he had been shot from above uh, while turning around like that, but still from the front. Uh, and there was a big hole in his heart. So to go from the neck to the heart, a bullet has to be going downward, doesn't it? Uh, and then there, there was an exit wound on his left shoulder, he said. Uh, maybe the backside of the arm is what it kind of sounded like. So then the police say, what they say that the autopsy says is that a bullet came from Yamagami's gun into, into that, you know, a wound on his left shoulder, into the wound on his left shoulder, uh, went across destroying arteries in his upper chest area. They don't mention the heart, you know, because you couldn't, I mean, it would have to go down again somehow, even though, you know, it's, he's being shot from sort of below, I think. There's also a great video rundown of how it's almost unthinkable that any bullets were actually coming out of Yamagami's gun, given all the many people that were behind, between him and Abe when he was firing. You can see in the video, if you really line it up, there's all kinds of people between the two of them, and none of them are hit by anything. Right. So it's really hard to imagine that it happened the way that they're saying. But they say that it goes across his chest, to, you know, to the side, rupturing arteries and causing his very quick death uh, there. Uh, they also say, yeah, there was one bullet hole in his neck, period. 
Nothing about that. Don't say why. Don't say what that was. Uh, supposedly, the bullet went all the way across from shoulder to shoulder to the side. Uh, you know, and this is just what the police say the autopsy report says. They said they would release the autopsy report in September. And sure enough, uh, time roll came around and they said, yeah, we just won't release it at all. And they haven't released it at all. So that's it. There's nothing else to see uh, other than that doctor's press conference, which, again, I have a link to the YouTube video of that and my full English translation of it on the Discord server. So uh, you can come sign up and become a member of the Kingless Generation on Patreon.com and you get access to the full catalog of premium episodes as well as access to that Discord server where we discuss all kinds of really fascinating stuff from across world history, human, the history of humanity, you know, the deep history of humanity, of class struggle and relations of production and the present and the future on there. So it's a real special community. I hope to see you there. Uh, yeah, meantime, so this guy Kishida Fumio is prime minister. He belongs to a different faction than Abe within the ruling uh, LDP or Liberal Democratic Party, uh, which is a American puppet going all back to uh, the early years of the Cold War, Kishinobusuke, who is Abe's grandfather, of course. So predictably, Abe's ouster from the uh, world of the living has caused some shifts, I think, within that party and the ruling coalition, and it remains to be seen how that will all shake down. But my suspicion is that you know the main actor that is able to act with a near impunity here in Japan is the United States, and particularly the military. Uh, they're able to, um, yeah, they can reach in and do uh, a lot of things. Uh, speaking of which, just uh, at the beginning of this month, right, the 6th of April. Uh, April, by the way, is the beginning of the fiscal year in Japan. It's also the beginning of the school year. So I've been up to my tits in work for the new school year here. I'm going to try to keep podcast releases relatively stable. We'll see how I do here. I apologize in advance if I don't live up to my own expectations. Thank you so much for your support, those of you who do support the Kingless Generation. Uh, so on the 6th at 3 p.m., there was a helicopter, a Black Hawk helicopter, this particular craft is designed by the American defense contractor Sikorsky and modified somewhat by Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. And the actual uh, number of it, the, the model number is UH-60JA. Uh, you know, the, they're known as Sixos or Six Circle, Rokumaru. Uh, colloquially among the SDF personnel. And there was one of these doing a kind of reconnaissance flight over the island of Miyako. Miyako is one of the center of three major uh, groups of islands that make up the Ryukyu island chain. Uh, today, Okinawa Prefecture is part of Japan. 
in the early modern period, it had this interesting dual relationship with Japan and China as an independent country. Uh, the languages spoken there are Japonic languages. So the people that did split off from uh, so-called mainland Japan, right? Uh, maybe about the year 1000 or so, it's thought. And they went down and, and sort of settled uh, the that island chain, maybe displaced some other people that were there before because they used to be trading with those people and they would get shells from further down uh, when they were still in Kyushu. So I know that. Uh, and they... Yeah, they had an independent kind of country that had uh, kind of Chinese Sinosphere relations very unambiguously with China, uh, much more like Korea did, right? Less like Japan. Japan has always like been one step back, even though there are times when um, never the emperor, but the shogun of Japan or uh, somebody like Toyotomi Hideyoshi, one of the three unifiers, accepted uh, investiture as king of Japan from the Chinese emperor, uh, thus signifying subordination to China in some kind of civilizational sense, right? Uh, it's just kind of like, it's kind of a kind of diplomacy, diplomatic relationship. Uh, and that would be like, I mean, very much like what uh, the United States tries to do with its Pax Americana. If a Ryukyuan sailor... Like, for example, I know of cases, I've heard talks about uh, cases where a Korean sailor would get shipwrecked in Ryukyu. So in order to repatriate him, they would take him to the Ryukyuan entry port of Fuzhou and, uh, in southern China. And then they would go proceed to Beijing where they would have their embassies with uh, China and there they would actually give that sailor or hand that sailor over to their Korean counterparts there in Beijing, even though it would be much quicker, obviously, to go directly to these countries. But uh, they wouldn't do that because that would break the protocol of the Sinosphere, of which they, they were very much a part, UQ was, right? In a way that Japan is, has only had, you know, like one foot in sometimes. But then starting in 1609 the Japanese province of Satsuma actually goes and conquers Ryukyu, uh, but they, and they subordinate them as a client state, and they bring them before the Edo shogunate the, and sort of you know, parade them. The, the parades of Ryukyuan embassies are, become commemorative scrolls, picture scrolls, just in the same way that Korean embassies do. Uh, except that with the Ryukyuan case, they're able to brag that uh, this is a subordinate country that we have. Right. And, in, and for that to be a subordinate country, it has to be an independent country that they've subjugated. Right. Uh, and there was at least supposedly uh, this this relationship with Japan was kept secret from China. How true that really is. I'm not sure. You know, supposedly they would they wouldn't even uh, allow them to wear Japanese style underwear. They would get rid of all they would hide all their Japanese underwear in their underwear drawers when the when the Chinese were around. I don't know how plausible that actually sounds to me. Uh, but uh, it was a dual relationship that everyone was content to sort of allow, you know, uh, all kinds of things. I mean, uh, the situation with the north of Ireland comes to mind today where it is going to, as a result of the deal, 
the deals being struck in Brussels may be ongoing, uh, it's going to be effectively sort of not, there's not going to be a hard border on the island of Ireland. Uh, and so there's not, and, and there won't be a, a strict border with um, the UK, obviously. So it's going to be a bit of an, a zone of exception in belonging to both of these spheres, right? So it's a bit like that. It had, you know, Ryukyu has a foot both in Japan and, and in China, interestingly. Uh, and it's linguistically diverse enough that, in fact, there are three languages that are mutually unintelligible in that island chain. Uh, the Ryukyuan language, the, uh, well, you might call it the Okinawan language, maybe, uh, around the island of Okinawa. And then you have the Miyako language, which would be centered around this this island. And then you'd have the Yaima language, um, or Yaeyama, to use the whole like standard Japanese pronunciation of that. Uh, Miyako as well would be Miyaku, right? Um, there's one, I know one Miyako song, actually. Doesn't it go like... Michinu Churasaya Kayanu Me Ayagunu Churasaya Myakum Ayagu. So y the scales get more and more Southeast Asian the further you down you go, that island chain. And that, that's got much more of a kind of Kulintang kind of uh, vibe, doesn't it? So there was a helicopter that disappeared from radar, basically, at about 3 in the afternoon. And... At first, there's this interesting kind of progression, you know, as always, like information trickles in and there's like a, an order in which pe people knew it was released to the public. And one of the first things that happened, of course, just given recent tensions, I think it's very natural, uh, natural, well, the tensions are artificial, but uh, given that they're there, you know, people will automatically start saying, did China shoot it down? Obviously, China must have shot it down. And indeed, in that area, uh, the Chinese aircraft carrier Shandong uh, was moving through kind of between Miyako. It, but, but the thing is, it passed between Miyako and Okinawa island groups in the early morning of that day and kept going east. And so it was not in the area at all at the time, uh, American, if not Japanese instruments, then American instruments would have picked up any kind of weapon use, you know, of, of conventional weapons. And eventually there are two like security videos from people's houses or whatever, uh, that, that show it and you can see it and it's been calculated as well. It's, it's height. It's height was rather low for what it is supposed, where it's supposed to be flying. It was flying rather low at the time. So that is true. But there's no evidence of uh, weapons being deployed against it. 
you know, and people say things like an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, it could have been, well, the thing is that that would have affected all kinds of instruments in the immediate area. It would have hit radio towers as well. You know, there would have been interruption of all kinds of services in the whole area, and nothing like that happened either. So uh, then, you know, they maybe as a result of that, uh, they came out very definitively uh, that evening and, and said it was an accident, right? They, they sort of waited a while, but then, yeah, it was an accident. Um, and indeed, if you look back in the history, like, I mean, there's accidents like this happen all the time, and it is a scandal, and it is ridiculous. Often, you have these helicopters landing on buildings, houses, and schools and shit, and, you know, kind of it's hushed up and stuff, and, uh, you know, half the time, it indeed, it does seem to be sort of, defective American hardware that has been pushed on Japan and you know Japan of course has to buy all this stuff at super high prices no matter no questions asked and and also is paying for the upkeep of all the American troops to some insane uh, degree you know that's known as the omoyari yosan the uh, the sympathy budget for just in thanks you know for for the American forces being here um, all in everybody's, uh, you can't move for all the American military bases here in Japan. Uh, although, you know, they don't, they keep it sort of hidden, you know, it's not obtrusive or anything like it might be in some other countries, right? I, you know, I hear Guam is an example of a place where there's, there's much more obvious presence. And in Japan, it's kind of, they're very careful to hide to some degree. So this helicopter goes down. It actually had 10 people on it and of those you know everybody but the pilots and one local security officer just like a policeman from the local Miyako station there uh, were on this right and uh, high-ranking you know most most of them were actually very high-ranking officers uh, four from the uh, ground army, you know, the, 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 um, they're all from the, the army, we, we, you'd say, like the ground-based self-defense forces is the official English, but like the army as opposed to navy or air force. And they all were from there, but then like among them, there were five officers of the airborne uh, brigade or the, the airborne division of this one unit. Uh, which was Division 8. Division 8 is part of the Western Command, and it is based in Kumamoto. This is on Kyushu. Uh, it is actually not responsible for the defense of Okinawa at all. So this is, a, this is an interesting thing to realize. They were there, uh, right? Uh, the 8th Division is uh, certainly one of the more you know, important uh, divisions. Uh, but there's a whole, there's another thing. Uh, the 15th Brigade is is the name of the unit that's responsible for Okinawa Prefecture. It's not, uh, I mean, it's not as important. Maybe that also, interestingly, is like an admission that de facto Okinawa is still an American military colony. 
and by far the main military force there is the American one, and the the Japanese self-defense forces need to just barely have, you know, anybody there at all, and maybe that's why there's a little, you know, they have this little 15th brigade uh, that is in charge of it, um, but then you would have, you know, so this is important because what had happened uh, on, I think, March 30, 30th, uh, was, some reports said 31st, but uh, I guess March 30th is the proper date, uh, the general Sakamoto Yuichi, Sakamoto Yuichi had just become the commander of the 8th Division. And he was a high-ranking general. Uh, for many years, he has served in military policy-making capacities for quite a while. And he had just taken uh, command of this force, uh, the 8th Division. And then for him, several, just several days later, to be then touring Okinawa is interesting. You know, why would he be doing that? That's a little unusual, I guess. I mean, of course, given recent tensions and everything, it is uh, understandable because, um, but but doesn't it also sort of like um, speak to perhaps some tension in the in the relationship between Japanese and American military forces? I wonder that he would need to go and look at that because if if the situation was like, well, we've got our little 15th brigade down there and then the rest of it is American forces. And so we'll leave you to it. You know, even if the most important Western, the, one of the most important sections, uh, I'm pretty sure in the, in the Western uh, division is the eighth division, right? Uh, the Western command, they'd say, yeah, Western command, you have the eighth division. So yeah, um, but they're down touring, you know, and checking out the, the locale, um, you know, maybe because they think they're going to be fighting there sometime soon. I don't know. And Sakamoto was on board that and he died. Uh, so one of the most so I looked around this, you know, and of course I was thinking, uh, well, first of all, my first thought, as with Abe, is like, you know, Abe was always like obviously rattling sabers against China, but he was always of a generation that was a bit more like a pro wrestler and happy to just, you know, foam at the mouth a little bit for the TV cameras. But would he have really pulled the trigger on all-out war against China and or Russia? And especially Russia, he was on relatively good terms with. Um, Putin in particular right? Uh, he would be much more of a pro-Russian, uh, sort of his faction, right? Uh, they were using Russia and China, if anything, as a buffer, and they were happy to, you know, use that to, to sort of put one foot in both. In, and again, this is a situation where uh, somebody has one foot in each uh, each side of, of a border. And uh, one thing that I would be looking for is that is Japan being pushed off of that stance and having to get both its feet on on side, right, on side with the U.S. to get ready to um, become the kamikaze force and dive headfirst into war with China and and or uh, Russia, right? There was a surprise inspection by Putin himself of the Pacific fleet of Russia just a few days ago as well.
So um, at the same time, you know, it was funny that was reported with the headline always Russia decide Russia declares that the main front is definitely the Western front and they don't think that anything is going to happen in the Pacific. Uh, but the substance of the article, the whole thing that actually happened was that Putin came for a surprise uh, inspection of the Pacific fleet. So, you know, that would suggest that they're certainly ready for the opposite to happen. So my first thoughts uh, are in thinking about Sakamoto is, was he someone who was somehow getting in the way of the push to war? And it doesn't seem that that's the case. It seems that he was very much, you know, in his accession speech, he's sort of saying, I want you all, he said to the his soldiers, I want you all to challenge yourselves to meet new uh, challenges like cyber weapons and electronic weapons, he did specifically mention. And it's interesting to note the history here. Uh, there was a general of the South Korean army who was killed in a helicopter crash. The, the commander of the 8th Division of the Korean army as well. Uh, under MacArthur, when MacArthur proposed a particularly genocidal invasion plan, uh, th it was opposed by this general, and this general very quickly had a helicopter accident and died. And just last year, in January, uh, there was another helicopter crash in Taiwan. Uh, there was a helicopter crash in January in Kiev, killing 14, including the Minister of the Interior and his children. So, uh, and in the Taiwanese case, that was also right before an election, just as it is here. Uh, there just was an election, just last uh, Sunday, I think, was voting. And... And, you know, the results of that election were uh, mixed. There were gains, once again, by the far-right Ishin Party, or like Restoration, Japan Restoration Party, uh, which is far-right, but I'm noticing they just sent someone to Moscow. So they're going to be the ones to break the embargo, the American-imposed embargo on any kind of acknowledgement of the reality of BRICS. And uh, that's going to really give them a big bounce. It's going to give them a big boost. You know, they're, they're very fascist uh, and populist. And that does look like the direction we're headed in. You know, when the, the JCP, Japanese Communist Party, was rah-rah Ukraine war, um, you know, calling for the Russian sanctions, supporting all this shit, and then just when it becomes, when it comes and turns around, comes down to, you know, Taiwan and so on, well, then they're against war. Then they're, then they don't want escalation. But, bunch of clowns. And there was a new sheepdog party introduced with connections to the Unification Church and everything. Uh, it's called the Sanseito, the, the party of participation in government what a, a half-assed uh name it reminds me like po the party of positive attitudes or something it's like so but they ate shit uh and uh reiwa picked up some more um reiwa is the only decent thing out there um a little bit bernie-ish 
you know, that too is ultimately a sheepdog act, but uh, that hasn't been allowed to, to gain much steam. It's been under quite a media blackout and all this sort of thing too. So um, that's the results of the election real quick. Uh, so given that, right, you know, I mean, that it would have given a boost to the conservative forces in the election to have these uh, events happening right before it, right? Um, right, and there's one more event, of course, before it. So just, uh, But just to show you how many, this is how many events there are right before an election in Japan. You know that it's election season when uh, you start getting... Uh, military potential military provocation scares and assassination uh, attempts at least and, and so on assassination season in japan so sakamoto right uh it's you know he had quite a quite a distinguished career uh and there was of course this process of slow trickle drip drip of information like what they found at first, it's like they only found a door and they found a life raft that was still folded up. So maybe they just like got it out and didn't even have time to inflate it or anything, push the button to inflate it. And uh, then, you know, gradually they found the helicopter itself, which had sunk all in one piece. So that so right there, it wasn't like blown up in the sky or anything. Uh, it sunk all in one piece. They've found they're finding more and more bodies. Uh, I think they might almost have found most of the bodies. Um, not Sakamoto's that I saw. Yeah. So there's that process of gradually finding them. Uh, they found, of course, it has a black box. It has a black box. Uh, they they were speaking normally with ground control about two minutes before disappearing from radar. And there was no communication at the time of disappearing from radar. So no information there. But now then they have this black box, right? Uh, well, you know what they announced? Um, sorry. Oh, this is the ground self-defense forces. So, you know, we didn't really, like, anticipate crashing in water. So it wasn't really... It, it didn't survive. Like, we can't show you. We can't, right? So uh, they're not releasing that. Okay, and uh, that is, um, I think that's just about all that I know. You know, I gathered all the information that I could, and, you know, it's just really interesting. This high-ranking general is gone. Was it a hit by somebody, right? Uh, of course, there's people who say that it was China. It That helicopter had just undergone routine uh you know maintenance after so many miles or whatever of flight and there were no problems found at that time they took it for a test flight at that time uh and supposedly it was fine you know there's people that say oh well maybe that's when you know they did something to it and maybe they had a chinese agent in the workshop there and he did something to it right uh an official did say that they suspected that maybe the rotor gear had had uh, been had failed catastrophically. Uh, they found one of the things they found too was a rotor blade that was badly ripped and kind of blown up at one side of it. So 
whatever that means. Um, you know, they were saying like, oh, this is weird that they would totally crash because this is a, a craft that's equipped with two engines. And so it has a backup engine. One engine can totally fail and the other engine can still be going to get you down to the ground. And even if you lose power completely on a helicopter, you still have time to like drift down to the ground and make an emergency landing. And in a modern helicopter, this happens like automatically. The computer will just, you know, get you to the ground no matter what you do. It shouldn't be. But if your rotor breaks, you know, that would send that then all bets are off. You're going to be on careening down to the ocean very quickly, surely. So, you know, some kind of bird strike. Uh, they're saying that no kind of drone could possibly have been in that area. But I don't, I don't know, you know, what kind of drone, what kind of micro drones exist now? You could think about that. But yeah, there's people that said that about the maintenance. That's true that it, that one was maintained recently. Uh, the JSDF have grounded all that model, the Rokumaru, the 6.0 helicopters for the time being, except for emergency use. So whatever that means. Uh and one thing that they have pointed out is that the U.S. defense industrial complex does did. I mean, this is a craft that is modified somewhat by Mitsubishi Heavy Industries when they manufacture it here in Japan. But the targeting systems and the flight control systems are proprietary and nobody in Japan has control over those. The, the real like source code and the, the hard wiring of that. Uh, America theoretically is in control of that and they could do something like, you know, remotely uh, cut the, the thrust or whatever or remotely really mess something like that up. So that has been suggested. Now, why would they do that? This seemed to be a cooperative general. Uh, it's unclear. If, if America is capable of some cyber attack... Uh, it's a, there's also lots of evidence that China's cyber capabilities have been uh, surpassing those of the U.S. So could this be a quick little, hey, guys, I heard what you were talking about over there. Like, uh, look what we can do, actually, before you even move one move, you know, I don't know. Uh, however, now this is. A bit of a new discovery that I have to report here. Uh, I was looking at Sakamoto's Wikipedia page, as you do, and I noticed something interesting. The entire page was created the day of the accident, about three hours before the accident. Thank you for listening to this preview of a premium episode of the Kingless Generation podcast. In order to hear the rest, you can head on down to patreon.com slash irregnata, that's unruled in Latin, feminine singular, uh, or just search for the kingless generation, you know. And for the low proletarian price of three thirty-three a month, you can have access to the whole back catalog. You can join us on Discord, where we have a whole bunch more information. All the sources for this episode are up there, and you have a community of kingless generation members discussing the deep history of class struggle paleo parapolitics and the demonology of capital can't wait to see you there